30 little children all together, 30 of us between the ages of three and five. And this producer, in quotes, separated the children from um, our mothers. So the mothers didn't know what went on. So there was, it was pretty, uh, pretty rugged, a pretty tough time. Being a starlet was difficult. I was a starlet from three and a half to five years of age. And you were known as One Take Temple, weren't yes. you? Because you always knew your lines. Yes. We have a picture of you here. What's this from, for heaven's sake? This, what's that from? Oh, well, that's a war film. That's What Price Gloria. <laughs> or What Price Glory. <laughs> Looks like all quiet in the Western Front from here. Close. Yeah. So they, they keep you in check by putting you in this... In, in, where? In the box? In a, in a black box. Um, in the old days, they had two sound... They had one sound box on the stages to mix the sound you know with the they were black and they were on big rubber wheels and had a little narrow window way up high well when we misbehaved they had two sound boxes on our set one of them had a big cake of ice in it and when any of us misbehaved we were sent one by one into the black box to cool off and think about it in the dark with the door closed I got a lot of earaches, I got a lot of styes, I got a lot of problems from that. I was in the box several times. Shirley Temple was the internationally popular child star of the 1930s, best known for sentimental musicals. For much of the decade, she was one of Hollywood's greatest box office attractions, until Tinseltown led her to retire at a very young age. On today's episode, we talk about the life and career of Shirley Temple and America's obsession with the Curly Top star. We also discuss and dissect the history of children in film and the Hollywood pedophilia ring. Did the baby burlesque films that Temple starred in have sexually suggestive undertones? What happened to the child star after she got older and left Hollywood? The paranormal aftermath? There are no Shirley Temple ghosts, but there sure are ghosts that linger around 20th Century Fox Studios. We sit down with one of our listeners, Jessica, as she shares her ghostly tales of working with a ghostly apparition of a hooded figure that likes to make his presence known in and around her office building. What lingers around the 20th Century Fox Studios? What are the phantom footsteps that the workers have heard in and around Jessica's workspace? You definitely don't want to miss this interview. Hollyweird can be fake and fickle. But if you play your cards right, kid, it could be one hell of a town. And for Shirley Temple, it was. So grab your favorite tap shoes, guys, as we travel back to the 30s and 40s and talk about the life and afterlife of Shirley Temple, Baby Burlesque. Hey, this is Noah from the Magic Quest Boys of Dragontown. We're a new improvisational, epic, fantasy, comedy, storytelling podcast. 
we're playing D&D. Okay, look, we're doing Dungeons and Dragons, and it's awesome. Our dungeon master is incredible, and he wrote the whole campaign. Don't worry if you haven't played Dungeons and Dragons before. You're going to love it. Everybody loves it. It's the best. Uh, so come check us out. We're everywhere you can find podcasts. That's where we are, and also on social media at Magic Quest Boys. Of Dragon Town. Hey, all you Holly weirdos. This is Tammy Merhab Chavez here. We just wanted to add this little tidbit for our promo on our Patreon page of our Saturday Night Ghost Club. And if you want to know more about it, well, here's a little sample. Enjoy. This is a story about my creepy ass house in Pasadena. Oh God! <laughs> that, uh, that was hella haunted when I bought it uh, by something that was living in the bedroom closet. When did you buy the house? Uh, I bought it in 2008. Oh wow! So you've yeah. been living there for a while. Yeah. So I bought it, and it was actually so haunted. And the, the story is so long, I can only tell, tell small parts of it for now because there's so much to it. But when I did buy it, um, I was living in a in a uh, in a condo in Valencia. And it was so bad, the energy was so bad there, I was actually going to not move into the house that I bought, stay in my apartment that I was originally going to rent out, and I was going to rent the house out instead, because I'm like, I can't, I can't wow. stay in these walls. That's how heavy it was. It was bad. But the scariest thing was, was, was the night um, that we took pictures in the house. Oh, no. And there was a group of people there doing a sort of, not an investigation, but just sort of a walkthrough, because they were about to do a cleansing. Um... And we went into the the main bedroom that was the the problem spot, and uh, we shut all the lights off, and we just sort of stood there and started waiting for stuff to happen. And suddenly the um, the uh, the rattan blind started going, dish, dish, just moving back and forth, oh my God. <clears throat> all in unison at the same time and speed. And then they all stopped. And we we're like, okay. And then the closet door opened by itself. We were watching the crystal doorknob slowly turn. No. Yeah. And we're all sitting there, and the door opened by itself, thumped against the wall. Of course, it's just a pitch black triangle staring out at us. And my buddy Gary turned on the lights, and at the same time, someone snapped a photo. And I'm going to have to find the photo. When I do, I will send it to you. Because I had it on my phone, and I deleted it because it gave me such anxiety to see. Oh, In fact, no. everybody who looked at the photo, they're like, I don't like the way that makes me feel. I'm like, yeah, it should. Yeah, and you live with so, that in your house. So what I can only describe as peeking up out of the corner of the frame, like it was peeking at the camera, looked like a black version of Cookie Monster. Oh, hell no. And it had whitish sort of indication of eyes that look and, and to the point where people started calling it the Fraggle. Everyone has a ghost story. It might be an urban legend you heard in a sleepover, or that time you saw a family member appear and disappear in a blink of an eye right before the hour of their death. It might not even be your story. We all have ghost stories that have crawled into the deepest parts of us and never let go. If you're lucky, then these stories may not have involved you in the first place. Cross this threshold with us as the nights get a little longer and the veil gets thinner with the Saturday Night Ghost Club on Hollyweird Paranormal's Patreon page. 
Want to hear these sidewalk ghost stories? Become a Patreon today at www.patreon.com forward slash Paranormal. For as little as $1 or more a month, you can enjoy stories like Sean's story of the Fraggle. Saturday nights on Hollyweird Paranormal's Patreon page just got even more spooky. Come and join us as we cross this creepy threshold to tune into these creepy stories and more of Saturday Night Ghost Club. So join us if you dare. It's about that time we're about to jump on this uh, good chip lollipop right now. Yes, guys. We're excited to be talking about Shirley Temple. The drink? Yeah. Perfect. What would you call a Shirley Temple like mixed with alcohol? And what kind of alcohol would you use in that drink? I mean, (laughs) it's like so sweet. Probably vodka. Vodka. Ooh, yeah. I can't imagine anything else. Would that be called a Russian temple or something? Czechoslovakian <laughs> temple. Uh, yes. I hated whenever I worked in food industry. Yeah. And they'd be like, can we get like some Shirley temples? And like, can you please leave my section? Thanks. <laughs> I'm really too busy for that. Because like, you would always have to make it yourself. Right. Like, a bartender's not going to make that for you. They're like, huh, you're joking, I'm, right? I'm fucking busy. <laughs> Don't order your <laughs> shitty drink. You're, ugh. That's right. We're starting right. this off full of anger. Right. And talking about drink concoctions. Guys, welcome to Holly Weird Paranormal. Hi. Hello. We're your hosts, Tammy Merhab Travas. And I am Bryce Mitchell Williams, Shirley the- Temple hater. <laughs> I was hoping you would show up with some ringlets on. Oh my God. Could mm-hmm. you imagine? It's too hot to wear a wig. Oh God. It's too hot to wear anything right now. It is about, I want to say like 90 degrees outside. We had like a brief little whisper of autumn. We did. And it's been ripped away from us. It has. <laughs> it really has. It's been like, it's it's between like warm and crispy yeah. here in the valley. Don't worry. I'm still going to wear a sweater. It's yeah. Fine. Regardless. There was one instance. I think it was on Wednesday or Tuesday. I walked out and I almost like cried. I was like, it's wetter weather. I know. I did too. I was so happy. Like, I'm going to wear layers. I'm going to look like a <gasps> basic look... bitch. And literally everyone in the office was like, you look so cute today. I was like, yeah, because like I was born to be in layers. Meanwhile, <laughs> the valley is like 120 degrees. Exactly. Like if nothing else, let's fight global warming so that I can wear a sweater. Like, exactly. I think that's a cause we can all rally behind. Like, fine. You don't like Greta. You don't like the politics behind it. Uh, okay. But let me wear a sweater. Mm-hmm. Please stop using straws. Yes. Save the turtles. <laughs> save Bryce. <laughs> Get him a sweater. Start a GoFundMe. Get Bryce a sweater. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, guys, we are about to hit a really, really interesting story about a famous Hollywood icon who's actually from California. Yes. Shirley Temple or Shirley Jane Temple, or as she was known in her older years, Shirley Temple Black. Mm-hmm. And it's a very interesting story. Mm-hmm. Like we, when we think of Shirley Temple, we think, oh, happy little girl, yep. innocent little films. No. <laughs> this is... yeah. This is going to be a pretty interesting discussion because as we researched her films and the types of people that she worked around, it wasn't that innocent mm-hmm. and it wasn't that nice, I would say. Timely. 
Yes. So real quickly, what we're going to do is just touch on children in film, just like in a brief history of how children were introduced in film, the Coogan Act of mm-hmm. 1939. And then we'll hit the earlier life of Shirley Temple, how she got involved in film and also pedophilia in Hollywood. Mm. There are some pedophilia undertones in her early films of the baby burlesque films mm-hmm. and also a couple of her films that were she like that made her famous bright eyes mm-hmm. where she sings the famous song good ship lollipop and curly top and then bryce will talk about her later years mm-hmm. her later career she actually ended up really doing well in her yeah. like, later years like as an, an older adult like she became comes like a very important part yes. of um of like doing a lot of work with the United Nations and everything. Mm-hmm. So she is not a tragic tale of like those child stars that, you know. Yeah, she's one of the few. Very few. Very like I say a handful of them that actually, you know, led a very fulfilled and positive life after, you know, leaving Tinseltown. Yeah, I mean we can definitely talk about that more because I think a huge reason for that is that because her career started so early mm-hmm. and you know if you think about it like the actual number of years is quite a long career yes but then when she quote unquote retires as you'll discuss i'm sure retired as in like finger, she's 22 yes finger quote and so i really think about it and we're going to talk a lot about judy garland today yes because I think essentially they were on such similar paths mm-hmm. as you as we talked about in our episode about Judy Garland and the Wizard of Oz. Right. Shirley Temple was the number one choice. Judy Garland was the backup essentially. Oh, and there's a story yeah. as to why that it was. Yeah, and so it's like this whole thing where like she gets out so early and then look what happened to Judy Garland, who didn't get out early mm-hmm. and her adult life is just chaos and check out our episode to hear what i'm talking about yeah but it's just like so interesting to me so yes let's definitely talk about that we'll definitely touch on that guys so let's start off with this little tidbit the children in film mm-hmm. so throughout early film history children were a central part of some movies such as uh you know the title characters in jack and the beanstalk mm-hmm. in 1902 the adventures of dolly in 1908 and in such parables as the land beyond the sunset in 1912 yet as the Hollywood star system developed in the 1910s, many children's roles were filled by established adult actors. One in particular was Mary Pickford, who played the title role of a 10-year-old in The Poor Little Rich Girl in mm. 1917. And she was the tender age of 20. portraying a 10 year old girl can you believe that now in 1919 Lillian Gish played the role of the childlike waif in Broken Blossoms in 1919 at 23 years of age and her adult co-star in that film Richard Barthamus played the role of a boy in Tullable David in 1921 at the age of 26 (laughs) now this convention which may have been due to Hollywood's grueling work schedule in those days and would have been prohibitive for real children made the emergence of the authentic child stars seem unlikely now yet in 1921 an adult performer as we talked about Mm. in season one charlie chaplin introduced the first actor to become famous in films as a child 
Jackie Coogan. Mm-hmm. Now, Chaplin casted Coogan as the seven-year-old boy in the movie, the famous film The Kid in 1921, mm-hmm. a tender story in which Chaplin's popular tramp character adopts an orphan boy. Coogan's performance was remarkably emotional and assured, quickly earning him further roles in the films of Oliver Twist in 1922, Daddy in 1923, and A Boy of Flanders in 1924. So his success soon made him the youngest person in history to earn a million dollars. Most of which his parents squandered over the course of his youth to the point when he got older to collect it. He was broke. Damn. They went through that millions. That's like an, crazy. It's so sad that like one of the things that we always that I'm always shocked by is that there's nothing really that original in the entertainment industry. <laughs> no. Because you look at um Gary Coleman, oh, same yeah. thing. All of these like uh Lindsay Lohan, uh Beyonce, like it's this very common thing where like these kids grow up and then they become at the age of emancipation. And there's these, like, really ugly legal battles because, like, they don't have their children's best interest at heart. Exactly. It's really sad. Mm-hmm. Money makes people do stupid things, mm-hmm. especially with parents and their children. Yeah. So such exploitations of child actors led California legislature passing the Coogan Act in 1939, mm-hmm. which was intended to protect acting children's assets. Thank you, California. Yeah. We did something right in the 1930s, right? Crashing it. Mm-hmm. Now, the most popular child star of the 1930s, and perhaps the most popular ever, was Shirley Temple. Now, Temple's success obviously motivated Hollywood to promote child stars even more. Mm. So we're going to go ahead and go back to 1928, and the setting is Santa Monica, California, and Shirley Jane Temple is born on April the 23rd of 1928. She's the third child of homemaker Gertrude Temple and bank employee George Temple. Um, They are pretty much of a Dutch, English, and German ancestry. She is the youngest out of two brothers, Mm. George Jr. and John Jr. So George and John Jr. are her older brothers. Um, Eventually, the the family moves to Brentwood, California. And her mother encouraged Shirley to develop her singing and dancing and acting talents. And in September of 1931, she enrolled Shirley into the Meglin's Dance School in Los Angeles. About this time, Shirley's mother began styling her daughter in her famous ringlets. Mm -hmm. So her mother, Gertrude, was an ex-dancer and actress, so she kind of had this Bengali effect, kind Mm. kind of like a stage mom effect on Shirley. Oh, boy. But I wouldn't say she was like off the Richter scale like most moms are. You I know, love a good stage mom. <laughs> but she was a pretty as a future stage mom in training. Mm-hmm. I really can respect the game, but yes. I'm gonna have one astronaut, one actor, and one gymnast, and they can decide <laughs> what they want to be <laughs> among those three. But that's that's just the way it's gonna be. Mm-hmm. Would you be doing that in your Louboutins? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, why is Glamour. that a question? Why yeah. is that a question? <laughs> All right. Now, in Child Star, her autobiography, which mm-hmm. was released in 1988, Mrs. Shirley Temple Black said her mother had made a calculated decision to turn her only daughter into a professional dancer. At a fee of 50 cents a week, Mrs. Temple enrolled the three-year-old Shirley in Mrs. Mecklin's dance studio, and in 1932. 
Shirley was spotted by an agent for educational pictures and was chosen to appear in Baby Burlesques, which we'll talk about soon. Mm. So we're going to highlight that because this is what's going to introduce us to our topic of pedophilia in Hollywood. So Baby Burlesques, guys, is a series of sexually suggestive one-reel shorts in which children played all the roles. So the four- and five-year-old children wore fancy adult costumes that ended at the waist, and below the waist they were in diapers with oversized safety pins. And in these heavy-handed parodies of well-known films like The Front Page or The Runt Page and What Price of Glory war berries uh war babies shirley imitated marlene dietrich may west by wearing an off-the-shoulder blouse and satin garters as a hard-boiled french bar girl aka Mm. a whore in war babies so if you guys have ever seen this film yeah it's i've never seen the full film but there's a lot of clips on youtube Yeah. yeah you can see it on youtube it is uncomfortable yeah that's the best word i could think of it's very uncomfortable i'm like i just don't know what i'm like what 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 the fuck is going on (laughs) what am i looking at well there's this scene where shirley temple her character comes out of this room with two baby soldiers and it's supposed to look like she just turned two tricks so she hugs one and then she kisses another one on the mouth and it's supposedly her first big real kiss like that captured her first kiss in her childhood. Tiny so. little soapbox. Oh, go right, right ahead. Surprise soapbox. Pick up your skirt, girl. Get oh, on up. Oh, trust. <laughs> um, I brought my little step stool. Sometimes it's hard to get up on the box. Mm-hmm. Um, I find it... I don't know what it is about people's like obsession with like making children like kiss and like have a little boyfriend or a girlfriend. Mm-hmm. It makes me insane. I just feel like I'm looking... At like a dog talking, <laughs> and they're just like, "Isn't that cute?" And I'm like, "Am I just not getting it?" Because no, it's not fucking cute. Like, stop making your fucking six year old kiss like your friend's other six year old, right? For like your Instagram, it fucking weirds me out, and I feel like I just don't get it. But like, what what are you doing? And like, I have these really specific memories growing up, and that people would be like. Do you have a girlfriend? I'm like, I, I, no. What? I was in kindergarten. Like, <laughs> yeah, you're like, what's a girlfriend? Yeah. yeah. It's, just, it's so weird. <laughs> I find it so bizarre. That scene in particular, I'm like, why the fuck are they making her kiss? Like, yeah. She's three. Because they're putting her in those, well, they are putting all the actors in these adult scenarios. Like, they have one serving milk, which is supposed to be liquor. Another one, you know, doing a strip tease on a table. <laughs> Like I'm sorry, I can't. It's like I, I get the shtick of it. Like the whole thing is like they're babies that are like adults. Like it's a cutesy little shtick. I yeah. get it. No, no, like, it wasn't it, cute at all. It, it doesn't have to be sexualized. Like yeah. just pick a movie that isn't. Uh, it's just so weird to me. Mm-hmm. I don't know the whole thing. I'm like it's not normal. It kind of reminds me of like the pageant, you know, mm. pageant girls. <sighs> we got to do an episode on. <laughs> yes, we for do. a different podcast. Just probably. for a different podcast. I Anyone love... who wants to join us on that, more than welcome to reach yeah. out to us. Our right. baby pageants, I find them so fascinating. They are very disturbing, uh-huh. weird, and disturbing. Mm-hmm. All right, now according to the article in New York Times in 2014, Baby Burlesques was followed by two real mm. comedies and a year of casting calls 
for Young Shirley and bit part auditions that garnered Young Shirley half a dozen small roles. Now, by Thanksgiving of 1933, she was growing older and she was five and a half, which is old in Hollywood if you're a child star. Yeah, Jesus Christ. And in the previous two years, she had earned a total of $702.50. Now, her mother, Gertrude, did the sensible thing. She shaved a year off her daughter's age. You have to shave a year off of a five and a half year old girl to make them look like they're infants. Like five and a half is adult and kid kid mm-hmm. years, I guess. So you have to shave like the year off for four so she could be a fetus pretty much in Hollywood. Is that I mean like you, even like a five year old is still considered old in Hollywood. Can you believe that? I can. I yeah. I was like laughing while trying to research well, this because I'm just like, what the fuck? But it is like this weird. Oh god, I'm just gonna have so many soapboxes today. Yes. I just I'm they're gonna apologize. like stacked in the corner of my yeah. room here. Blanket <laughs> apology for this episode. But it's that thing where Hollywood is like obsessed with aging women, especially to like make them mature enough to sexualize them, but then punishing women for getting too old to be sexualized like well now you're like a mom character and we can't fuck you so you can't work anymore but also millie bobby brown perfect example you're like the sexy up and coming star like no she's 12 right she's not sexy she's a fucking child Stop trying with to like a age her. Line. She's with like a, a skin she's a mature, line. She's a mature 12. She's like wise beyond your years. That's just a like, lot more words to say you want to fuck a child. Like f- gross. Yeah. So this is like the perfect example. Like she's too old at five. So like let's. I'm, it, it all is so gross. It's so gross. And it's it's a secret because she doesn't discover that, you know, she's a year older until her 12th birthday. Her mom sits her down and says, actually, Shirley, sorry, not sorry, but we have to shave the year. You're actually 13 years old. Jesus Bye. Christ. Bye. You know, kind of. <laughs> wow. And she, you know, is so great in handling this stuff with mm. such ease. But we will kind of just, you know, go over how that kind of affects her in her teen years, mm-hmm. you know. Now, her career begins in 1934. Um, she was picked to play James Dunn's daughter in the Fox fantasy Stand Up and Cheer, one of many films made during the Depression in which music chases away unhappy reality. Mm. And she was signed to a two-week contract at 150 a week and told to provide her own tap shoes, which I get, I get. Provide your own shoes, feet are funny, I get it. Yeah. And back then, like, they didn't have It was a different. Yeah. It was really different. Now, within an hour of completing her song and dance number, Baby Take a Bow, she was formally placed under contract to Fox for a year um, at 150 a week. And the studio had the option for seven more years and would pay Gertrude Temple an additional $25 each week to take care of her daughter and to also maintain her famous ringlets. Mm. So the exposure that Baby Burlesque afforded Temple led her to a contract with the Fox Film Corporation. When she was six years old, she appeared in her first Hollywood feature film, Carolina. When offset, she attended the Westlake School for Girls. With Fox, Temple made an additional eight films, including the smash hit Little Miss Marker, the young actress, singer, and dancer with the bouncing golden corkscrew curls, 
was an instant hit and became America's sweetheart mm. literally overnight. Mm-hmm. So President Franklin D. Roosevelt yes. even called Temple Little Miss Miracle for raising the public's morale during the times of economic hardship, even going at so far as to say, as long as our country has Shirley Temple, we will be all right. Now, Temple's song and dance routine (laughs) (laughs) to the tune on the good ship Lollipop in 1934's Bright Eyes, which we will touch very soon, Mm. earned her a special Academy Award for Outstanding Personality of 1934. By 1940, Temple had 43 films already underneath her belt. Now, we'll fast forward into her teen years. Mm. So she gets older. She's still attending Westlake School for Girls after months of being given the cold shoulder because the older she got, the more that Fox was pulling away from her. Yeah. So she decided she might as well, you know, do well by herself. So what Fox yes, had... Yes, Queen. Yes. So what Fox had dropped, MGM pretty much picked up. And we're <laughs> going to go over this really soon. Um, so MGM picks up. Eight months later, but the little girl was now entering adolescence. Mm. She's at the age of 12 or 13 by this time. On her first visit to MGM, Mrs. Black wrote in her autobiography, the producer author Freed in his office unzips his trousers and exposed himself to her. Being innocent of male anatomy, she responded by giggling and he threw her out of the office as you should. That What a great response. Yeah. Just laugh, point, laugh, and just like, you know, chasse away. And then cut it off. <laughs> cut it off yeah. pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. All of this happened while her mother, because her mother was present with her, but her mother was in a different office getting groped by Mr. Um, Goodwin from MGM. Yeah, like it was ridiculous. As we talked about in um, The Wizard of Oz, like these were the big five, MGM and Fox. So these were these five machismo studios all ran by males. Of course. The, like step like literally step into my office close the door and let me unzip my trousers let me you know rub my manhood on you and maybe you know we could come up with an agreement which is disgusting and then like here's the little thing that i love <laughs> <laughs> i fucking love when like cis white dudes are like it's a really hard time to be a man right now and i just want to fucking bop them like i'm like please it's been going on for (laughs) generations of generations Mm -hmm. and like you're worried that you now don't get to be a fucking creep like that's what it really comes down to it it really is if you're not a creep you don't have to worry about getting called out for being a creep do you Mm -hmm. know what i mean so like you shouldn't have anything to worry about because everyone is just asking to be treated like a decent human that's all it is that apparently makes it a quote difficult time to be a guy I uh, especially actors they're like it's just like a really hard time to be a white guy in the acting industry right now god it's really hard Fuck to think with the right head and I mean you. the one in my pants like, no it's the one on your shoulders your dipshit. child like, is getting exposed right. and you're being molested and that's just the way the business was and if you didn't like it then like you don't have to work here like mm-hmm it's a hard time. Oh, God. I can't even. We're like never going to get this episode no, done. No, no, I'm no. It's, it's still, still fucking like that. It's still like that to this very day. Like, you guys don't understand. Like, we work in the industry. Mm. And when I fit, like, 
these starlets in these clothing. I hear mm-hmm. a lot of things that are conversed between them and their managers. Like, can't you believe like that producer called me at 1 a.m. Mm-hmm. and asked me to come over to his condo? I'm like thinking like, for what? And they're like, they wanted to like go over a script with me and have drinks. And this fucking actress is a 16 year old girl. Like yeah. what the fuck you're doing calling a 16 year old girl at 1 a.m. in the morning to have drinks. <laughs> Pulling a fucking page right out of the Harvey Weinstein. Oh, playbook. right there. Yeah. How to be a creep and get away with it by Harvey Weinstein. Like, oh, you know? I, it's so hard. I'll never get to be Harvey Weinstein again. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. Like, that's your response? Ugh. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Welcome to <laughs> Rant, a podcast. Now, she continues her studies at Westlake and picks up chain smoking and becomes the first girl to be engaged out of her class. Now, she accepted a ring from a 24-year-old Army Air Corps sergeant, uh, John Agar Jr., a few days before her 17th birthday. And they were married on September 19th of 1945. They end up having a daughter. Um, they were dis- they were divorced by December of 1949, Go a figure. year after the birth of their daughter Linda Susan. Now, less than 60 days. This is why I like love her in a way. Less than 60 days after the divorce, Miss Temple, 21, met and became engaged to Mister Black, then the 30-year-old assistant to the president of the Hawaiian Pineapple Company, huh. who claimed he had never seen a Shirley Temple movie, and they were betrothed after a 12-day courtship, and they were actually married for 55 years. Look, that when you know, you know. She I doesn't guess. waste time. No, she does not waste time. Yeah. I like a woman that takes initiative, man. But I feel like she rushed rushed into these marriages, maybe as a as a way to escape like her life from mm. film. You think? So or- I think yeah. Um, it's really interesting. So you look at her career, and she did fifty like fifty three or fifty five movies from the time she was three until she was 14. Right. And then she only did 15 movies from the time she was like 14 until she retired at 22. So like her career, it, again, 14 is a massive number of movies. But it is. 55 for a child is insane. And she talks about it in her book. And the conditions were like essentially prison camp. Like yeah. they were really deplorable. And like, really abusive and there were no like child labor laws to speak of no and so like the things that the directors were able to like do aside from like all of the low-key molestation and like reporters being like her supple energetic body like desirable body like come on yeah Yeah. and like you know light credit the studio would sue when those articles would come out but the article's already out oh yeah we'll hit that it's just like so crazy but like she kind of in some ways is saved because as her career starts to slow down she starts doing like you were saying these more like rebellious normal things so like well then i'm just gonna have a fucking normal life i'm gonna like go to school Mm -hmm. i'm gonna like get married i'm like have a kid i'm gonna like have a career and it i think saves her honestly it really did as like crazy as it is i think the fact that like hollywood was so shitty to her because she was quote getting older yeah saved her it did. And not only that, but this is how shitty Hollywood and Fox was mm. to the little girl that saved them because they were during, all bankrupt. They were all bankrupt. And she saved them by doing all these films through Fox. And she, in the long run, out of all these films, ends up pocketing $40,000. 
And she didn't even bother to like go at them and say, where are the receipts? Where's the rest mm-hmm. of my millions? But because they pretty much stole from her. They, they just like pocketed the rest of it. They're like, mm, well, you know. What a fucking nightmare. But she pocketed 40,000. She's just like, fuck this. I'm, just, I'm done. I think, I'm yeah, done. she really was just like, I'm out. I'm, <laughs> I'm out. Lighting a cigarette as she walks away. You Queen. know, Queen, of course. Burn now, them down. <laughs> this segues us into a little topic. And yeah, we will make things a little uncomfortable. We're going to talk about pedophilia in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Now, um, after talking about baby burlesque, you know, this is something that a lot of people have suggested that there's been a little pedophilia ring in Hollywood, like the dark crevices of Tinseltown. Um, As we explained before, um, after Shirley Temple graduated to feature films, the constant theme of an orphan child adopted by a middle-aged man who was a father figure was the theme of a lot of her films. pedophilias love orphans um they all want her and she always gives herself verbally and it's true if you've seen a lot of these movies that she's in curly top um also bright eyes Mm. it's very suggestive here in the movie i think it's curly top she hops into bed with to be honest, a pedo father figure. In an interview, she said that in real life, she fell in love with a lot of these co-stars. Mm. But in that particular film, she jumps onto bed onto her on top of her father figure that's laying down. And you see her kind of sitting on his stomach and she's like bouncing up and down on his stomach. And it kind of looks like it's a sexual position. Mm-hmm. It's very, very disturbing. Um, also, if you look at the movie Good Ship Lollipop, there's a lot of sexual innuendos, too. She sings to a plane full of men Ugh. in a very short dress. Obviously, her dresses, if you look in all of her films, they're long in the front and, you know, just three inches shorter in the back. Ugh. If you notice a lot of her photographs that they had taken in Fox, it's of her backside. Mm-hmm. They're like... Just give us a little twerk and a dip, Shirley, and we'll just take a picture of that. And she's mm-hmm. just like, oh, yeah, she thinks it's all innocent. But really, if you look at all the photographs, it's hinting something. Well, and it's that thing, the idea of, like, grooming. You know, we've talked about that in the call episode and the idea of that's not, like, unfamiliar. But it really ultimately comes down to, like, when you have, like, a three-year-old in mm-hmm. baby burlesque. And you're like, okay, now you do this. Okay, like now you do this. Okay, now and it's just like they're they're parroting you, and you're just getting the take, and then going on to the next. Mm-hmm. It's the same. It's an extension of that. Like, it 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 doesn't register because like children aren't sexual, right? But like you can, like I don't know. It's just like the whole idea of grooming. Like, well, now like surely you'll like walk from stage left to stage right, and then she does that, and then like now you'll do this. Okay, now you'll turn around. Like it's almost like Simon says at that point. It was. It was. It was a lot of it. Of that being, you yeah, know, and then like, says because she doesn't, you no, know, process it she? like that. No, yeah. of course not. Yeah. Ugh. Now, do you remember in 2017 when Corey Feldman? I was just gonna say. Let's segue into that one, please. Uh-huh. Let's talk about this. So, in 2017, Corey Feldman pretty much calls out pedophilia in Hollywood. Yeah. And he said that he, you know, suffered as a child actor. Um, sexual abuse Mm -hmm. from male figures in the Hollywood industry. Mm -hmm. And he makes this like really powerful statement. Like he says, you know, it's a thing that had happened is a thing that still is happening and it will always exist. 
yeah. you know, in Hollywood, which is so true. Yeah, unfortunately, every every head that gets chopped off, two more tickets place. So, like, even though all of these, like, Harvey Weinstein trials are happening, there's not really been a push by the industry to really clean house. Right. And get these people out of positions of power. For every Harvey Weinstein, there's two more producers who aren't being named, whose mm-hmm. payoffs are working, who are a little bit sneakier about it. Yeah. Or whatever the case may be, it's just, you know, you start looking at it, it's like, yeah, for, you see, and like, great, like, Harvey Weinstein's like getting justice, like Brian Singer, they're like getting justice. Mm-hmm. But it's still happening. Like, and if you think it's not, then you're fooling yourself. Yeah. I don't know. It it's just very sad when you think about like what people are willing to do and what people are willing to take advantage of in this industry and how they are going to be silenced. Mm-hmm. That can segue us to this individual that I mean a lot of people said he wasn't a big fan of Shirley Temple, but if you look into his article that he wrote, he was really blowing the whistle on these mm-hmm. executives and how they were sexually exploiting her as a child. Mm-hmm. So according to the New York Times, uh, not everyone was a Shirley Temple fan, but novelist Graham Greene was um, a film critic who was sued by 20th Century Fox for his review of Wee Willie Winky mm. in the magazine Night and Day, which he edited. In the review, he questioned whether she was a midget and wrote of her well-shaped and desirable little body being served up to middle-aged male admirers, mm-hmm. a.k.a. I'm calling you out. Mm-hmm. And he called them out, and the studio execs didn't like it. Of and of course... course you know, they're going to handle it their own way. They're going to sue him in order to change that article. But looking back at it, he was the only one, in my opinion, mm-hmm. that really blew the whistle on it. Well, and it's like all the things we talk about with Judy Garland that were being done. There was like all these rumors that were circulating around Shirley Temple. Mm-hmm. Like that her hair was a wig. So then like she'd be in public and people would be like yanking her hair. Oh, yeah. And she would like none of her teeth ever fell out because they were having her wear like a flipper in all the films. Mm -hmm. So then people were like, well, she's an adult. She's a midget. Like she's not a little girl. She's a and it's like all of these like really unchecked because at the time, like America's weird obsession. Well, not it still goes on with like fame and celebrity. And then you mix in that the studios own these people. Mm hmm. And they have no say. And her life is, like, not her own. Macaulay Culkin's yeah. a good example. Who else? Haley Joel mm-hmm. Osman is another good example. Um, I, I, I already mentioned it, but, like, Millie Bobby Brown right now is the one that every time I see it's her, right it now. just breaks yeah. my heart. I'm just like, oh, my God, someone please protect her. Because it's not her fucking dad. Her dad's a fucking creep. Yeah. I hope he listens to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like oh no he's like such a crazy stage dad and he will like sell her out like no i didn't know that it's just the way he talks and like i don't know i hope i'm i hope i'm wrong i really hope that like have you seen her fervor is like off the camera like off the record like she's a little she's a little like she's not stable like she's all over the place it's really sad. <laughs> well, and like, who is fucking stable at 13? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I was a fucking mess in middle school. Thank exactly. God there wasn't like cameras following me. You know what I mean? <laughs> we were like, all that way. Yeah. Ugh, it's just such a nightmare. And it's such an interesting age because, you know, you're going through, you know, 
this prepubescent time your mm-hmm. body's going through motions and different feelings and it's like you're going through this period in your life where you're you're questioning everything mm-hmm. you know you're just kind of going through this awkward stage you know that could have a, a severe effect on yeah. a lot of kids that don't know how to handle it or don't have the safety net to help them guide them through this yeah. and for individuals like Millie and others before her they totally. didn't have that you know they're just looking at profit well look at all the i mean we have a cultural sort of like running gag about like starlets that like burn out amanda Bynes, Lindsay lohan britney oh like, my gosh and it's, yeah it's like cliche at this point because it happens so often yeah and it's like we pretend like we don't know where it's coming from mm-hmm. you know what i mean like you can't can't imagine why they're completely losing their minds in their mid twenties mm-hmm. because like they've been dealing with this shit since they were like fourteen six like it's it's crazy. You look at like those OG Mickey Mouse clubbers like yeah they all went fucking crazy and then some of them have like since stabilized mm-hmm. but you don't escape unscathed when you're that young. Exactly. I'm look at Drew Barrymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good example. I mean, she had a very crazy streak too. And now, like, she has stability now. She runs, mm-hmm. you know, Flower Power Productions. She produces. Like, she, well, now she's divorced, but, you know, she has a child. And she she's a working woman. She's mm-hmm. a working mom now. You know, she has that, you know, that stability. But then, again, like, the leg up is that she was born into a Hollywood family. Yeah. So, yeah. Now we can segue into her later career, to Shirley's later career. Mm. So she leaves... So she retires at 22. Yeah, she leaves the, the, the right whole old film, age. <laughs> the film industry at 22 yes. because that's how it goes. Um, and so she basically, as an adult, she decides to run in 1967. She was like an active member of the California Republican Party, mm-hmm. which like I always have to remind myself like means something different than it does now. At first I was like, Charlotte, no. I'm like, oh wait, Republicans used to be a different thing. <laughs> right, right, right. I forgot. So Jesus, no. Yeah. So she in nineteen sixty seven she runs and she loses. She comes in second mm-hmm. uh for an open Congress seat. But because of that, it essentially sets her political trajectory. Uh and that's what she then does alongside of like philanthropic work for the rest of her life. And so she continued being involved in the Republican Party, although she lost. And then she was assigned. What is it called when they make you an ambassador? What's that word? Oh, shoot. It's like assigned, but there's like a more fancy title for it. Ooh. It doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, someone's like screaming into the like phone They're right like, now. I'm like, going to have to write this on, our, on, 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 their, <laughs> on their message board. Everyone knows that it's this word. Well, I'm, <laughs> I'm dumb. Leave me alone. Um, so she uh, is made the ambassador for the, Un- the United Nations by Richard Nixon in uh, 1969 to Ghana and she was the essentially the first woman to ever hold that specific appointment. Yeah, she was appointed. Is that the word I was looking yeah, for? Yeah, she was just appointed. I have to go. Oh, I have to go. Oh I can't. God, I know. <laughs> drink, so aggressive. Yeah, I was going to say drink more coffee, but you drink everything. It's so. already slurped all the way to the bottom. <laughs> so, she's essentially like the first woman uh to that post and she was also the first uh chief officer of protocol of the United States which was essentially she was in charge of, like, appointments for Jimmy Carter. So she, like, served for, like, 
multiple presidencies through the late 60s and early 70s. Then, in 1989, she was appointed as the UN or I'm sorry, the United States ambassador to Czechoslovakia by George H. W. Bush. Blinks. Blinks. Tons of blinks. Mm, good times. <laughs> um, and that was also, she has been the only female ever appointed to that position, to that country, I sent, yeah. essentially. There are other female ambassadors. I'm not trying to say that. <laughs> um, and so she essentially is the U.S. ambassador to Czechoslovakia during the USSR expansion into Eastern Europe. Oh, wow. So she was actually in the Czech Republic, well, what we call the Czech Republic now, during this Soviet invasion. And she was had to, like, hide and be evacuated from the country. And she, like, fled and, like, hid on the roof of her, to- her hotel and essentially had, like, a bird's eye view to the, like, slaughter that was happening in the streets. Oh, my God. Yeah. And then she was, like, evacuated out of the country. Crazy, right? So, like, this complete pivot from, like, starlet, famous child actor to, like, war-torn U.S. ambassador correspondent. Like, Mm -hmm. so she really does, like, make a life for herself as a diplomat and, like, as a respected – like, you can't appoint people – as ambassadors who don't have their shit unlocked. Do you know what I mean? Like, right. I always think about that. Like, it's this weird, like, oh, you're the U.S. ambassador to this other country. And in some ways, it's almost like being shipped to, like, the field office. You're, like, not in D.C., like, making the power plays. Yeah. But you really are representing the United States, mm-hmm. like, on the front lines. And that's what They're she was doing. Shipping her out to the field. They're yeah. doing, making her do field work, pretty much. Which is just so insane. She was like, That's fine. I'll do it. Yeah, I got yeah, it. I got it. I got this on lock. <laughs> I once tap danced on a block of ice when I was four years old. <laughs> she, she got that shit. While being blindfolded. Oh, God. <laughs> um, so she continues being the ambassador to Czechoslovakia. Um, she was also the ambassador during what was then called the Velvet Revolution, which is essentially the overthrow of the Communist Party in Czechoslovakia. And she was, like, a huge supporter and sympathizer to oh, wow. the revolution. She was, like, a huge, as all Republicans were at the time, as most all politicians were at the time, like, the fear of the spread of communism right. was so rampant, even through the 80s, into the fall of the USSR. So, um, do, 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 do. she then... Um, I believe that was her last appointment. So she was the ambassador to Czechoslovakia from 1989 until 1992. So she then, after that, kind of transitions into like more philanthropic work and board work. She was on the boards of the Walt Disney Company. She was on the Bank of America board, Del Monte Foods, Bank of California, and then a bunch of like... UN, UNESCO type fundraising philanthropic work. Um, And then she dies at age 85 in 2014, which I weirdly remember. I remember being like, she wasn't already dead? (laughs) She was still like trucking, yeah. Because it's that thing where you don't see someone and you're like, oh, she was a child star. She must have died. Yeah, she must have passed away already. It's just because she didn't have like film and then she was at an award ceremony mm-hmm. I remember being like wait Shirley Temple is alive and she was like being 
awarded, awarded some like, lifetime, lifetime achievement. achievement. Yeah. yeah. Like, holy shit. I yeah, had no I fucking clue. seeing that award ceremony very briefly on TV. Mm-hmm. And then I think a couple months later, I heard it on NPR that she had passed yeah. of um, COPD, which is oh, yes. the chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. Look, kids, don't smoke. Yeah. Because uh, Temple was a lifelong cigarette smoker. Mm-hmm. And yeah. she, but I love she wouldn't do it in, in public. Of, yeah, she wouldn't do it in front of her fans. I love that. That was really nice. That's really sweet. Especially since like her fans were kind of shitty to her. Yeah. And she still was like, I have to be a good example. Like, oh, mm-hmm. you little, you kind hearted little soul. <laughs> Block them. <laughs> smoke away. Sashay and smoke away, yeah, girl. girl. To which she did. She led a really long and good life. Mm. You know, she died at the tender age of 85, which is, you know, a very long life in Hollywood. I mean, as sad well, as that sounds. And it's so crazy because if you, like, break it down, she essentially, like, even though she will always be known for her time as, like, a child star. Right. In terms of, like, numbers, she actually was an ambassador and, like, a diplomat mm-hmm. for far longer. So it's just, like, interesting. Again, like, our obsession with fame. Yeah. I remember I have this really specific memory of watching TV at my grandparents' house in West Virginia. And this one infomercial would always come on, like, constantly. And it was for, like, a collection of Shirley Temple movies that you could, like, rent on DVD or buy on DVD. And... I like can sing all the little songs in order because it was like it would come on and every single time it would be like announcer this song announcer this song like Animal Crackers and like Good Chihuahua yeah, yeah all of that Animal Crackers and myself. yeah it's crazy so it's just like that was honestly my first exposure to her is like just oh it's like some random black and white movie star who was like little mm-hmm. like America's Sweetheart okay <laughs> Well, guys, that was the life of Shirley Temple. Yes. And we're going to go and transition into the paranormal aftermath. Now, I've researched. <laughs> they breathe a sigh and look at the fucking family. God, thank God. Get off the box. This podcast lasted longer than her fucking career. <laughs> Just fucking talk about ghosts. Are there Shirley Temple ghosts? Nope. <laughs> nope. Bye. Nope. Bye. Bye. That's it. <laughs> so, um, actually. We have something better. I had the amazing opportunity to meet and interview one of our listeners, Hi. Jessica. And what up, she girl? is not only one of our spiritual bays and avid listener of Hollywood Paranormal, but she is one amazing human being. Yes. And we've been talking back and forth. And last Saturday, we were sipping on some iced coffees while talking about ghosts at her job. Yes, Bryce couldn't make it because he couldn't, like, he can't. He just can't deal with ghosts. I know. No, he just, like, no. he, you were a hardworking girl. I, you were. I felt so bad. I was like, um, is it, is it this weekend? <laughs> Literally. No, you've been really busy. I know. Yeah. I've been having this, like, weird, let me just, like, lay on your psychologist couch really quick. Okay. Um, I've been having this weird phenomenon, like, I get off work on Friday and I get so much anxiety because I have so many things going on during the weekend, mm-hmm. which is, like. I, what a first world problem to have, I guess. But I'm like, I'm so busy. I'm it's not going like to have that. any rest time until I get done with work on Monday. Well, like, it's been oh like gosh. that. We just talked about it earlier mm, that this yeah. month has been like this past week, the first week of October. And guys, holler at you girls if you feel us. But this week has been insane. Like everybody's been stressing, having anxiety. I have a lot of personal plates spinning myself. Yes. And I read that like the moon's in Pluto right now, which is causing a lot of chaos and challenges. So by the 
13th, which is the next full moon, the moon will be in Jupiter. So that will be a resolution to all of our challenges. Like, hurry the fuck up. Look, call me Persephone. <laughs> call me Persephone because I need Pluto to stop fucking me. Like, mm. that's where we're fucking at. <laughs> it's happening. Don't slide into my DM. No. Pluto, I'm done. You're not even a planet no more. Get I'll out of my bag. I think it is a planet now again. I think they changed it back. Mm-hmm. Poor Pluto. I know. I'm not a planet either. It's okay. He's like the middle child of, like, a family yeah. of seven or eight. How many planets are there? Girl. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, good times. Good times. Like, God, like, get with it. All right, guys. So our homegirl, Jessica, worked for 20th Century Fox. Yes. And it turns out that she shares her office space with a few coworkers and a hooded figure. <clears throat> yes. So here's our interview that happened this past Saturday at the Palms Coffee Bar in Burbank. Now, guys, sorry for any outside sound pollution. We were sitting outside and there was traffic. If we would have sat indoors, we would have had to talk over the loud background music inside the cafe. But it is what it is. Don't at us. This is how it was. We had a great meeting. Yeah. We talked over like ghosts and, and, and iced coffee and, of course, how fabulous Bryce is. Oh, God. So here is our interview with Jessica. Hey guys, I'm sitting here with one of our awesome listeners. Hi, I am Jessica and I work on the Fox lot in Century City, California. We got one base. (laughs) So you have a slew of stories connected to the Fox lot. I do. And in regards to Fox Studios, they were pretty much home to a lot of famous stars. One in particular that we just talked about, Shirley Temple. And um, you work in a specific building that has unusual occurrences. And uh, we want you to definitely tell us every single thing. Like, drop the book ledger of the receipts, Jessica. All right, I'm dropping receipts. <laughs> so, the uh, the building I work in, it's um, it was built in the late 20s, early 30s. It's a stage one and two building. And it's where they record a lot of soundtracks to various movies. And it's, you know, Shirley Temple has recorded music in there. They did music for Planet of the Apes, Sound of Music, The King and I. A lot of history. Um, and it's it's a beautiful building, but it's also um, a creepy building if if the sun is down. Yeah, and you you've had some experiences along with coworkers of uh, some unusual things that have happened. I think early in the morning, let's just say even late at night. Um, tell us about like your first experience in the lot or in your building. So when I started, I used to work um, alone on Saturdays. And I would get there super early, like before the sun came up. And um, what I would hear is I would go in the room, set my stuff down, then fill up my water. Or if I left something in the car and I was like, oh, okay, I got to go back downstairs, grab something out of my car. um, I would hear footsteps, like footsteps, like maybe there were people working in there, like other people walking around. And it's, it's like a raised floor. So it's um like even if you're just walking by yourself it's like kind of echoey and kind of hollow sounding and so i would hear these footsteps and you know at first i was like oh cool i'm not alone in the building go and do my thing but then when i would go and look for these people just you know for some human contact (laughs) to say hello there'd be nobody there and then i would go downstairs and i would go outside in the front building i would check the back of the building there were no other cars and so then i would put two and two together and you know, sprint back up to my room and slam the door behind me. 
Bryce has told me, like, as you should. Because <laughs> I told him about your stories, and he, and it, like, freaked out. He's like, or she could burn the building, yeah. but that would be, you know, arson. <laughs> or, <laughs> Bryce says you should quit immediately. <laughs> two weeks notice is, like, two second notice. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, hey, this place is haunted. I have to go. Deuces. <laughs> um, so I've had uh, another, and I've had other coworkers be like, yeah. I've heard I've heard footsteps and they're just so nonchalant about it and I'm like well what do you mean you've, you've heard footsteps like right. like I mean it's the validation is good and it's also kind of scary but I'm also like well I want to know more I want to know who's walking around right. um, and I don't I mean I'm sure the building has had a lot of renovations there's the main orchestral room and that is that has been the way it is since I'm pretty sure it's been built and when the you know when the doors open like I can always tell down the hall if that door is open because you can smell instruments and old wood and it's just a very old musty smell it's very specific um but uh my coworker and I had a thing in the kitchen upstairs oh I remember you messaging me about this this is an insane story so my friend and I go in and we're just getting, we have tea time. So we go and we make tea. Sometimes I get coffee, we do tea, whatever. So I'm at the sink and the way the room is situated, it's like there's the door and you walk in immediately to your left is the sink. And then to your right is a little table and it's, it's a fairly small kitchen area. And so I'm at this, we walk in and there's this, what we perceive to be some rando dude just sitting there head down hood over his no. head. <laughs> Cue Bryce going, no. <laughs> Which is one of my favorites. Um, and so we both kind of look at him like, like we just look, he doesn't acknowledge us. We look at each other like, that's weird. So I'm washing my cup at the sink. The door is open, so it's obstructing, obstructing my view. So I can't see this guy, but my friend is leaning against um, a counter and she's facing him. And she looks at me and she's got this weird look and we keep looking over at him. And it was just, it was very, like, it was also early. Like, we get there early, like, 6 a.m. There aren't, yeah, and there aren't a lot of people in that building that early. I mean, there's like a handful of us. And so we don't know who this is. Um, We're just like, whatevs. So she's, we're talking, we're going back and forth. She says something to me. I respond. She looks at me for a a moment Tammy just a moment she looks at me and then turns back and goes where did he go and I look and the guy's not there the chair is empty but this guy who would like we thought was just stare like just staring into his lap and I didn't see like a phone or anything like I just saw this dude staring and I was like okay whatever like you don't want to stare at somebody and be rude like we just kind of kept looking but then this person was gone and so I was all where the hell did he go so there's this overlook that, um, you know, it looks you in, in the kitchen, you can look down into the floor below mm-hmm. this like little, I guess, vestibule, vestibule area. Yeah. So you can look down there. And so we both run over there. We look and there's nobody there. We both run into the hallway. And again, you can hear footsteps because it's a raised floor. So there's like a, a hollow sound. So she goes down the hall. I go down the, the stairs that are just outside. There's nobody there. You like, we didn't hear doors open. We didn't hear, certainly didn't hear doors close. A lot of the doors are um, badge access. So, you know, you hear the beep and the click and the door open. Right. This person, this thing was just gone, 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 gone. 
and um, and we just looked at each other. We were like, "Did we just see a mother effing ghost?" And then we promptly ran back to the room, and then we sat down and we did not speak of it the rest of the day. And it took like a few days for us to kind of like discuss it, right? Or even want to process wanna, it. Yeah, to process it. And then and I also didn't want to go into the kitchen by myself. And we were like. It, like you know go stranger danger strength in numbers <laughs> we went by girl scout rules and we were like come with me and you don't know anything about the history of the building or what it may have been in the past someone's office or someone's personal space like one of the like, maybe a famous executive producer or director you don't think uh that i'm not really sure mm-hmm. they're like again it's an old ass building right. so there's there there's tons of history up in there I have not found someone I haven't found anybody who's like a good lot historian like I know guys who have been there for like they're like oh we've worked here for 20 years like this is we've only ever worked here but they don't really know a lot about like older history so I and that there's um there's a guy at work and he's um he's a bit more um of a historian and I even asked him I said can you I told him the story he believed me like you know 1% of the people who I tell do and I had asked him I was like do you know anything else about the building he's like I really don't so I'm still kind of on the search to find um, you know people who have been there longer or even people who know people who would know what's up with the building because it's it's I've seen pictures of it in the 30s and there's like a big door on the outside that's not a door anymore. It's just like it lo- like it just looks like a big old wood door but it doesn't open. So it was obviously something else. There's a lot that's gone on um but I know like the I guess like the main bones of the building are like have always been there for the orchestral room. Right. So I'm I'm still trying to figure I'm still trying to figure it out. And you know, I've still heard footsteps. I've seen like I'll see something out of the corner of my eye. Yeah, you know and then, something's there. Yeah, and then yeah. I look and it I don't ever feel like I get nervous because I don't know how to handle myself. Right. I'm like, what do I do? Um we had a situation where lights were super flicky mm-hmm. and we turned them off and then they would still kind of flick. And my friend was trying to talk to me, and it was so funny because she finally, she went, oh my god, we get it, you're here. And then the lights just stopped flicking. Yep. I think it wants that validation. I think if you step up to it and say, we get it, you're here, yes, you're you're dead and you're proud, we understand. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. it was just kind of like, excuse yeah. me? Excuse I think me? sometimes it wants that validation. Mm-hmm. Um the best thing to say is like we acknowledge you, we respect you. Please let us like do our work. <laughs> yeah, I've gone in on my own. Like if I get there early before anybody else, and I'm getting my water, and I kind of look around and I'm like, look, um, I respect your space. I just, I would hope that you would respect mine because I gotta, mama's gotta make money. Right. Um. So if you want to like move stuff around as a hello or. You know, let me know you're here. Fine. Just no me toques. Yes. Yes. I'm like, please don't, please don't tap me on the shoulder. I will scream. I will run. And that will be the end of our relationship. Yes. (laughs) Never, ever, from what I was told by other investigators and even like uh, mediums is never um, go up into a space that has some sort of energy or haunting and say, what do you want? 
because that's like inviting something oh, in. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always good to say, to, to establish and set the space. Like, hey, I acknowledge you, good or bad, but listen, Holmes. Like, mm-hmm. let me do my work. Let us share the space. I'm here 6 a.m. to 1 or whatever time, yeah. <laughs> and you have the rest, the rest of the night time. Your own thing. Yes. Yeah, I have. I have just kind of been like, if you want to tell me something, if there's anything that you like want me to know, right. you can hit me up. Just please don't be aggressive. <laughs> I'm like a baby investigator. Be be like gentle. Be gentle. Be gentle with the baby. Speaking of words, you downloaded an app and you have collected, if we could go over the words, you collected. So what is the, um, you, you collected uh, the words and you use a specific app. Is it the ghost tracker or is it ghost finder? There's a bunch of them out there. It is called, uh, I think it's just called ghost detector. It's the, it won't show me the full name of, or maybe it does. App info. Here we go. It's called Ghost Detector, and I have an Android phone, and it's got, it's like a blue, teal blue circle with like a black handprint. And, um, you know, one of your episodes, you guys were talking about spirit boxes, and I was watching um, Ghost Ghost Brothers, and they, there was a guy who was like, let's bring out the spirit box, and he was just using his iPhone, and I was like, oh, crap, there are apps? Yeah. So I downloaded an app. And I would kind of be like, hey, uh, you know, do you want to tell me something? Do you want to say something? And so I've got a whole word history that I started in early September. And so I've got a couple names. I've got, you know, some random things like, um, like someone just said England or someone. There was one where it was like, go away. And I was like, (laughs) okay, here's the thing though. I work here, so I can't go away. Mm -hmm. Um, So I need you to respect that. And I'll respect you wanting to kick it in here, but please don't be rude. And then I, ever anything else has just been random stuff. Like every once in a while, I'll get stuff where it's like, "Don't belong" or "Maggot." And then sometimes I'll get something that's like, "Fun," you know, "Wind," "Man," <laughs> "Laughter," like "Katie," "Gently." I'll get like it's just it's a lot of random stuff. I've asked it. Um, because you and I were texting back and forth and I was like, you know, this is what I'm getting. You go, try and be specific. So I've asked him, like, do you, you know, can you tell me something about myself? Can you tell me my name? And it'll give me a name, um, the name Allie. And I've seen it a couple times. And I'm like, no, 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 that's, that's not what my name is. And immediately after it just said lies. And I just cracked up. I was like, I was like, no, that's actually not. So it went from, I was like, can you tell me my name? And so it went from like Allie to Sally. And I was like, no, it's not Sally, but it, I'll get like a lot of random stuff. And so I'll also like every once in a while, I'll get like a negative word. Like it'll say cursed or it'll be like no priest. And I'm like, that's probably the dick who was like, go away. And he's mad that I put my foot down. And so I'll just roll my eyes. And I'm like, I'm not falling for it. And then that word will, then there, nothing else stops, but it'll just be kind of like, like stuff, like just random stuff. Like I was thinking about, um, like getting water or like tea like doing like our tea time and I was like ah should I get tea or should I maybe like do a little lap around like I'm a, I'm waiting for something to download or I'm ahead of schedule and I'll try and you know be active get my steps in and so as one should yeah I was like what should I do and like you'll see like the levels will go up really high and they'll stay high and then they'll kind of come down and then a word pops out and the word said walk now and I was like all right let's go for a walk 
And so sometimes, like, it's been mostly random, but sometimes it'll be, like, specific to me. Like, if I'm not, like, I haven't been feeling well. I've had a lot of allergy issues, and so I, you know, one of the things I was like, can you, can you talk to me? Can you tell me what's going on? And it was, like, disease. And I was like, I was like, well, it's not really a disease. It's just, like, allergies. And it's just, it'll, it, like, it, like, I think there's something trying to communicate. And in the room that I work in, there are a lot of electrical equipment. So there's plenty for it to pull from. That's true. Like, it depends on what's on around there. Or maybe it's pulling, you know, words or sort of some sort of energy that's around there, you know. Maybe it's never, maybe it doesn't quite know how it works. And so it's just kind of throwing random stuff out. I mean, I mean, I can't assume that every, um, every energy is like a pro at communication or if, you know, they've even had anybody who's come up in there and been like, Hey, I know you're here. Yeah. And so maybe they're just like, Oh my God, say anything, just anything. Right. Or he doesn't know or recognize like what a phone looks like, an iPhone or an Android, you know, sometimes you have to tell it, you know, or tell whatever is there to like, you have to describe the, the instrument in your hand and ask them, you know, or direct them how to communicate through that instrument. Yeah. Like whenever I do a lot of paranormal investigations, um, I'm taught to, you know, first off, tell them what you have in your hand and direct them how to communicate with that specific, you know, device or tool. Mm -hmm. So it does help. And then you'll learn the types of questions to tell it or to ask it. So that's very interesting. Like I'm looking at held back. Uh, There's Ashton spirits, his grind, Sally beware, Um, soldier, Molly Reed curse. (laughs) That doesn't sound like a good one. (laughs) No, it's all, it's all really, it's all really random. It's seemingly random. Although like the whole alley thing. And I was like, no, that's not my name. And then lies. Yeah. Which, um, which is something that I say, like, I, I'll never call people and ever be like, you're a liar or you're lying. My thing is like, I always go lies. (laughs) So I don't know if they're like, Hey, she gets this. She knows this. Um, but it's, um, it's, it's been, it's been interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes like I was having computer issues, uh, in the middle of the week and like there's a bunch of people in the room and I kind of out of the corner of my mouth I was like if you're screwing with my computer I'm gonna need you to stop because I got right. stuff to do <laughs> I don't know if it's you but if it is I, I don't have time for this yeah. I gotta I gotta I gotta keep on schedule there are things that have to be done <laughs> like I have deadlines no pun intended but I have deadlines <laughs> yeah. I'm like look you can do this whenever you want just could we just stop the nonsense right um so I don't know if it's them because you know technology's great until it's not yeah and it fails that's true. Yeah. That's what we see in a lot of those paranormal shows. But the uh-huh. biggest tool, the biggest device that you have that you carry with you is your body and your mind mm-hmm. and your intuition. And your intuition and your gut tells you that there's something there. And it's trying to make communication with you and the workers as well. But it's so funny because you were also telling me like you are getting other validated statements in regards to like whatever's going on in your job. And mm-hmm. we mentioned this in past episodes how... Um, you'll meet that one or two um, individuals that are complete skeptics and then you tell them, well, I'm not a skeptic. I believe in this. And they're like, well, by the way, I do have a ghost story, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they don't exist. But here's my you know, yeah, story. The, the, uh, in, there's uh, in the studio store, one of the guys there was like, uh, he's like, I don't believe in all that, but I have a story. And I was like, oh my God, Tammy was right. And uh, he was saying there was a clock that would stop on Marilyn's birthday. 
on her birthday. And he said that it was like around her time of death. I don't know what time he's going by, but he was adamant that it was on her birthday. And it was like more than one year that this occurred with new batteries in the clock. And I was like, so what happened to it? He's like, oh, I got rid of that. It freaked me out. And I was like, no. So who knows? Who knows where that clock has stopped? That's very interesting because you even mentioned in the, in the studio there is like a poster or mural of the seven year itch which is one of her biggest films yeah on one of the stage buildings and i mean these these stage buildings it's like they're like three stories high and like they're just massive these massive buildings because you know within that stage they're creating like you can they, like i've seen two story houses complete two story houses built within these stages so they're they're big and so on the side of one of them is this big um, Marilyn mural. So there's definitely, and there are pictures of her in, um, in the dining area. If you go upstairs to use the bathroom, there's pictures of her on the wall and there's Shirley and there's Rita Hayworth. And there's a lot of really cool old timey black and white pictures like around the lot, depending on what building you're in. There's a lot of history there. I'm wondering, has there, have you heard any stories in the sound stages or in these lots of other activity that's gone on? Any other tales or anything that's circulated? I want to say not yet because mm-hmm. I'm just kind of, you know, it wasn't, like I said, it wasn't until I was listening to your podcast yeah. that I have started to kind of like realize, like pay attention to things where I'm like, oh, I've heard footsteps. Yeah. I've heard stuff. And, you know, I get there early. I'm still waking up. And so a lot of it's just been like, there's nothing there. There's nothing there. Um, but I'm like, I can't imagine there aren't other people, but they just, I mean, it's, there's definitely, um, because of the skeptics and, you know, Hollywood and all that, like, it's not one of those things, you know, like saying you go to therapy, it's still not quite one of those things where people would just like accept. So I would be shocked if there weren't other people, they just don't know who they can tell. Yeah. You know, so I'm I'm trying to I'm feeling people out to be like, hey, you ever heard anything like weird? If they're like, no, I'm like, huh, me neither. And then I move on because I'm just like, I'm not getting into it. If if you're not, if there's no thing. I was trying to ask Craig Owens if he knew any stories of the paranormal from Fox Studios, but he used to work at Paranormal. He's like, oh, there's a slew of stories, but Fox, I, I don't know anything. There's not a lot of stories that I've, I've tried to research that um, are in regards to the paranormal. However, I just ordered a book called Ghost Photographer, and I can't remember the name of this woman. Please forgive me, guys. Um, but oh, she... That's the one that they, they actually sell it. They sell it um, on the Fox lot. Yes. She worked for Fox for many years. She was um, actually like a numbers check. Like she was the head data analyst analyst uh-huh. for Fox. And something happened. Her mom passed away. And after her mom's death, like she became more open all of a sudden. She started taking pictures of locations all over Fox and Century City. And then she started seeing like visions of the dead. Yeah. And they were communicating with her, and she wrote this book to com- to pretty much share her tales and her ghost photography. But there are stories based on the Fox lot that I I should be getting this book by Monday, I think. Okay. Um, because they didn't have a Prime option on it. So. Oh, isn't that the worst? It's the worst, but she has a bunch of tales in regards to it. So I'm sure after this interview. I'll I'll share it when I do a post with Bryce. 
but it's it's supposed to pretty much hold a lot of stories, especially ghost stories in in relation to the Fox Studios. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, it's it's old. Mm-hmm. It's really old, and I'm sure there are you know higher ups who have been there since they were 18 who worked their way up because that's you know it's that's how it was done that's how it you know is done it's it's more rare to see that but it's still it's still a thing um so i'm sure there's some old old guys in suits crunching numbers somewhere i just don't know them that's true that's true probably they're still working in the afterlife which sucks (laughs) that's why they're always in the kitchen or the break room yeah yeah because they're like oh no i gotta go back yeah i gotta go back to work in the afterlife (laughs) well thank you so much jessica for sitting down with me having coffee um bryce is being a busy queen today guys as she should but um thank you so much for sitting down and you know talking ghosts with me oh my god of course this has been (laughs) awesome all right guys so that is our little uh, interview with Jessica. Uh, so thank you so much for like I don't know it's just so sweet that she like took the time to do that. And she was I, that's so, so awesome. Thank awesome. you so much. We brought our little goodie bag. Yes. We had iced coffee. We talked ghosts. And here's a little tidbit too, a little um, thing that happened that we noticed. I was sitting. Well, we were sitting two doors away from the Ace Sewing and Vacuum Shop where Mm, I caught the apparition of Frank on my sunglasses. Weird. Yeah. So it was just like so interesting talking about ghosts just literally a doorway away from where I had a very interesting paranormal experience. So if you guys want to learn more about it, um, if you go on our Instagram, you can see the picture of um, the image of Frank. But long story short, I parked in front of this shop. I was doing a video, as you've seen on Instagram, Mm -hmm. and something I caught something on the lenses of my sunglasses. It looked like someone was standing in front of my car when no one wasn't. Uh. And it turned out I caught an image of a man and I called the shop owners the next day and I had it confirmed that, yes, their shop is haunted Ugh. by a former worker that died on his way to work. Aww. And his name was Frank. And when I showed them the picture of the man in my lenses, they confirmed that it was Frank. Oh, my God. Yeah. So it's a very interesting tale. I want to do I want to see if I can interview them again for our Patreon. Yeah. But amazing. It's just goes to show you. I guess the best way to say it, like if you open yourself up a little more to the spirit world, they'll, they'll come through a hundred percent. So for Jessica working at 20th century Fox, I feel like, yeah, she's a little more open to, which is why she's kind of receiving, you know, these little hints and I guess telltale signs that something is there. Yes. Yeah. Definitely keep opening yourself up, but <laughs> really hold on to the instinct to run. That's like my favorite part of all of these stories. Like, so then we ran. I was like, "Yes, girl, get out of the house." While he was listening to this interview, I, I should I should just take pictures of how he's oh, like Bryce screaming and cringing. She's like, "Oh no, oh no, yes, I would run, run yeah. far away. I would be the star of the shortest horror film ever because I'll just run. You like, would be no, the smartest one. You're I'm like, out. I'm picking up." My shit and going. Speaking yeah. of, and since we mentioned Drew Barrymore as well, I watched Scream <laughs> for the first time. What? I know. So I've seen it before, but only the first scene with Drew Barrymore. Oh, wow. Which is super fucking traumatic and super scary and by far <laughs> the scariest part of that movie because the movie dissipates as it goes on. It kind of right. morphs into like a thriller. Yeah. As you start realizing and like putting things together and God, is it gory. Mm-hmm. But that first scene is 
fucking intense, terrifying. It is. They really set the tone of the film. Yeah. They're so smart. I with love it. that it was they Wes like, Craven, right? And I, yeah, and I yeah. love that they like promoted it like starring Drew Barrymore, and then she dies in the first scene. Yeah, classic. Um, all of that to say, the first line out of Nev Campbell's mouth is like, "I hate scary movies because everyone always runs." Or, like, everyone always, like, goes upstairs to investigate. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. Instead of running out of the house. And then as soon as something starts happening, she, like, runs upstairs. I'm like, Nev Campbell, you little idiot. Get the <laughs> fuck out of that house. I was very upset. I was like, are you fucking... Like, they, start, they, like, set her up as, like, I don't like scary movies. They're all so cheesy. Like, everyone mm-hmm. in them, like, doesn't... And, you know, it's doing that, like, early 90s break the fourth wall bullshit. Right. Or, like, break the meta. <laughs> And she's like, yeah, they like all, no one does it. And then she's like doing the thing that she says she hates. I'm like, this little bitch. <laughs> so Jessica, keep running. Burn that kitchen to the ground. And yeah, definitely open yourself up or whatever, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, I tried looking at, um, into, I tried looking into more stories mm. in connection to Fox Studios. There's nothing. I even talked to Craig Owens. What I meant to say was Paramount instead of Paranormal, sorry. Mm. Um he used to work for Paramount and there's a slew of ghost stories yeah. there. A ton. Of course, because Paramount is one of the like oldest studios. Yeah. Fox is also one of the oldest studios. It opened in 1915. Wow. And her offices, uh, her building was built, like she said, in 1930s, mid-30s. So there's got to be some sort of association there. And it housed a ton of stars. Mm. Marilyn Monroe, Shirley Temple, of course. And she was even telling me about a break room inside Fox. And inside the break room was a little room called the Shirley Temple room or the Temple room where they made this room specific for her to have her breaks away from Mm -hmm. the studio execs that would drink highballs and smoke their cigars in the break room while eating their steaks and being mochismos, you know. But um, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of echoes of history there, right. and Lord knows what is tracked there, or what likes to come and visit to some place that is very familiar. I mean, this is wild conjecture on my part, but like, mm-hmm. why stop now? Uh, <laughs> but I always wonder, like, many times, you know, obviously an apparition or a spirit embodiment is occurring at a place like either where they died or a place that they really loved. Yeah. And I always wonder, like, with especially these early... The studios were not a good place. It was not... I mean, Shirley... There's, like, in her book, Shirley Temple talks about the working conditions that they were enduring as children. There was, like, a punishment box, and they had to sit on ice. And yeah. They were For told her baby that... They yeah. were told that their parents were kidnapped or dying so that they would, like, get them to cry. They were, they were literally being tortured for the sake of creating these films... That's not a happy place. So I can imagine that, like, when you're saying, like, oh, well, Fox doesn't have these things, Mm -hmm. that makes sense to me. Like, if I were a ghost, I wouldn't be trying to haunt the place that I was, like, traumatized. Right. I'd go, and that's why you then, like, oh, they, like, are in their, like, favorite booth at their favorite restaurant or they're in their favorite, like, hotel suite. Like, yeah, that makes sense. Like, go to a place, if you're not going to pass on, if that's, like, what you believe in. Right. Then, like, at least go somewhere where you have, like, happy energy and happy memories and where people can come and like celebrate you or whatever but it makes sense to me that like the energy of the studios all of that layers of chaos that we always talk about would then manifest it would because if you think of it fear is a very powerful thing it is the biggest in my opinion fear is the biggest demon Mm. um and girl that's deep it's super deep i've i've 
I thought about this too because like fear is such a big thing. It's very powerful. And I feel like a lot of people were so fearful mm. back then because am I gonna make am I gonna get into this film? Am I gonna make money? Am I gonna get my start? Um, there's trauma, like you said. Like the things that we talked about what Judy Garland endured during Wizard of Oz was insane. It was disgusting, it was inhumane, mm-hmm. it was terrible. And if you think of the 30s and 40s back then, it was a very gritty time. It was like not a lot of things were established. It was very cutthroat. It was like get the job done because of the studio system, you know. I mean, you were basically a glorified prop. You were a prop. You were not looked at as a human being. You were property and a prop pretty much is what what was the name of the game back then. So I mean, it's like you hope that it's getting better. In some ways, I think it is. Mm-hmm. I like felt very inspired by the Emmys this year. Mm-hmm. It was there was a lot of representation. Oh a yeah, hundred percent. A lot of people that won. It was very like historic, iconic performances mm-hmm. that were being rewarded. Mm-hmm. It's like oh, maybe things like are kind of slowly changing. They are hopefully at a glacial we still, pace. We have yeah. a long fucking we way to go. Still do, yeah. But like. At this point, things as they are, I'll take every win we can get because God knows exactly. we need it. So, like, we need to steer the ship to a better direction yeah. <laughs> on so, a better route. Yeah, I, you know, I hope. Hopefully, the industry is getting better. Mm-hmm. I feel like it is. It's just like we still, like you said, we have a long way mm-hmm. to go, but it's come a long way. Yeah, yeah. Um, the book that we mentioned earlier in the interview, The Ghost Photographer, it's pretty good so far, guys. So it's written by Julie Rager, Hi. who's the president, chief data strategist, and head of media at 20th Century Fox. So Amazing. she wrote this book back in 2018, and it's not the book that you think it is. She pretty much gives her personal opinion and her experiences into entering the spiritual world. So. Mm. It turned out that it started with the death of her mother. She was very close to her mom Mm. and how grief was another form that kind of opened her up. Mm. It just like grief was the was the demon that ripped the veil away from her third eye. So since her mother's death, she started to experience a lot of paranormal activity. She would hear um, hear and see things that she couldn't explain and it's all written in her book. She is called the ghost photographer because she is really big in ghost photography. There's a chapter towards the end of the book where she shares a lot of these interesting photographs mm. of apparitions that she's captured Damn. using smudge smoke. There's an apparition. I'm not even joking. I'm going to pull this up right now, Bryce. I'm going to show you something. Oh God. Everybody's going to hear you <laughs> hear the fear in your voice. But she takes this picture at a Neil Diamond concert at the Hollywood Bowl and clear as day you see you I can even see it from here you oh see God. an apparition of a man that she claims it wasn't there mm-hmm. before she took the picture and it's a man it looks like a man that's in um stagehand wear Ew. you see it right Oh my god! But you can make a face. You yeah. could, he's in a stage blacks. Oh. And she clearly states in the book, like while I was watching this concert, there was no one standing stage left of Neil Diamond, and it just so happened that um, it is an apparition. And according to sources connected to Hollywood Bowl, they have experienced things backstage that is in relation to that apparition. People have claimed that they've seen a man in black roaming around backstage. 
And he's just kind of there, just like running the show, even in the afterlife. Oh, God. Yeah. But like we mentioned, remember that the stage absorbs everything, yes, right? Yes, yes. And in a lot of these stories that we share, it seems like a lot of these apparitions come back to the place that they're so familiar with, their work. Um, especially if it's like a stage manager. God, can Gosh, you, can you come with a, like a more dedicated <laughs> group of people than stage managers? Seriously. Like, a good stage manager is a fucking gift. And like... Yeah. I, I bet it's a stage manager who's like, I'm not done. I must make sure the show goes on. Like, go rest. Your your watch is done. People like, don't understand, but the stage manager legit runs the show. Oh, they call the show. They're the ones that go, um, you know, lights up, lights down. Good stage management fade. will make or break you. Yeah. Like, when you're in shows that doesn't have, like, an assigned stage manager, it's it's daunting. Right. And when you have a good stage manager, it is a gift. It is. Shout out, stage managers. Shout out to you. And shout out to Jessica. Thank you so much, yes, Jessica, for, for that you. interview. Guys, go and check out The Ghost Photographer by Julie Rieger. Mm. All right, guys. So we have a couple of shout outs before we take this to a close. First and foremost, shout out to Magic Quest Boys. You heard yes. the promo in the very uh-huh. beginning. Go check them out if you're into Dungeons and Dragons and just funny stories. I played my very first Dungeons and Dragons game ever this week. Oh, my week. God. I know. No way. Yeah, look at me, really <laughs> embracing my satanic panic. We're going to plan something <laughs> with them, guys. Another shout out to David Omen. He just Hi, released his books. Miss you. I know Ghosts of Cielo Drive, The Afterlife of Sharon Tate and the Spirits of the Omen House, which involve Harry Houdini, um, Valentino, and the famous African-American boxer, Jack Johnson. Yes. So if you go to ghostsofcielodrive.com, you can pick up a copy of his book for 20 bucks with $5 shipping. Go check it out if you want to learn more about the paranormal experiences and stories connected not only to his house but also to benedict canyon another shout out too is to our patreon christina thank you so much for suggesting that we do shirley temple yes you are legit a a producer you're a gucci (sighs) producer guys speaking of patreon please don't flash any child actors your penis (laughs) now that you're a producer you have a responsibility to the craft <laughs> we can change it from the inside <laughs> life lessons from rest yeah everyone's like this idiot <laughs> well guys worst. speaking of patreon if you want to be like christina and be a producer on hollyweird paranormal Thanks, make girl. suggestions for our episodes then you can do so for as little as one dollar or more a month even if it's just for that one month or for the first three months you want to kind of throw us some paper then you can do so by heading over to patreon.com forward slash hollyweird paranormal we have saved up enough for a zoom mic for our ghost investigations and our field interviews so so we are we're trying to like you know really be bad and bougie in this paranormal game of course so another thing too, speaking of our Patreon, I'm starting um, a little thing during the month of October and for the rest of the month, just to see how it goes. We're going to start Saturday Night Ghost Club. I was inspired cool. by the Craig Ferguson book, Saturday Night Ghost Club. So Saturday Night Ghost Club is going to happen this month of October for two Saturdays each month. We'll see how it goes. Um, I'll be collecting sidewalk ghost stories. Cool. So I'll be collecting sidewalk ghost stories from, you know, listeners, friends, coworkers, um, even my nail tech. Yes. Every time I go out and tell people what we do for this podcast, yes. what I do 
on my in my spare time yeah they're like wait you do that you you're into ghosts and the paranormal. You Everybody says, "I oh, you know what? I have a story." Have it. Everybody says, "Girl, it. okay." Little side story. Yes. I was getting my nails done. They look amazing. By Thank the way. you, Color Camp. Shout out to you guys in Studio City. I was telling my nail tech about our podcast, mm-hmm. and next to him was this girl in a Walt Disney's haunted mansion shirt, yes. and she, her head best ride pops up, and she's like. Wait, what's the name of your podcast? I love stuff like this, obviously, because you're wearing a Haunted Mansion shirt. And she then goes on to tell me about a ghost story of hers when she used to live off of First and Mission here in Los Angeles. Damn. How she suffered from um, sleep paralysis. She used to see shadow people. Just the experiences that she had in that house off of First and Mission. Oh, God. I wish I would have pulled my phone out, but my nails were being cured at the time because <laughs> he just painted them and I had to like put them in the black light. Yeah. So I, I couldn't like reach into my bag and get my phone to record, but it would be those types of stories, guys, that I will record mm-hmm. just raw footage of people's experiences cool. and uploading them to our Patreon so you guys can listen to. The one I'll be uploading next weekend will be from my father, Ray Murhab. So my hi. dad had shared an ex- <laughs> ghost story with me. Cute. So he, he is from Tripoli. Uh, he's from Lebanon. Which is why I'm a, a Lebanese senorita, uh, half Honduran, half Lebanese. So it turns out that our family house in Lebanon is haunted. And we've had some keepers, like people who've taken care of the property, say, no, there's there's apparitions here of like dead Roman soldiers. Because oh back God, in the day, yeah. during that time, it was the crossroads for like, you know, Greco Roman war. Mm-hmm. So there's apparently these apparitions of these roman soldiers even on horses that people have seen and there are these shadow figures that kind of hang around in that house of ours in lebanon damn and then he goes on and tells me another story of how him and his cousin were having a cigarette one night outside of their house in lebanon and apparently my dad had a ufo experience yeah, if you want oh to listen God. to that episode, guys, oh it'll be posted on our Patreon, but you have to be a Patreon to listen. So make sure you go and check us out on there. If you want to stalk us, please head on over to Facebook and Instagram. We are at Holly Weird Paranormal and HWP Podcast on mm-hmm. the Twitter app, guys. All right. So till next time, guys, we'll be having our listeners tales. Yes. yes it'll be fun. Just in time for Halloween. Halloween. Yes. What are you going to be for Halloween? Um, I have a couple ideas. Britney Spears. No, yes. No, I've learned my lesson from Derek Barry. Um, I don't know. I usually don't do very good at Halloween, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But I have, like, an official grown-up party that I'm going to. So I need Ooh. to, like, have a costume. Like, nice. I need to go with something good, I feel like. Yeah. The pressure. Alaska Thunderfuck? Hilarious. Yeah, I wish. <laughs> All right, guys. Till next time, always remember to stay Holly Weird. And thank you. Bye. Bye.